Welcome to this exciting sermon from World Impact Community Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more sermons and resources, please do visit us at wscc.in. Straight into God's Word. We've started a series last week called The Devotions of the Early Church. Yeah, Pastor Jijo, uh, you know, had just brought out such an amazing word last week on prayer. Uh, and we're going to look at another devotion of the early church, which is the breaking of bread. The early church was birthed out of four things. The death of Jesus, his resurrection, the prayer of the church, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Okay, these four things came together at a time and a moment in history to birth this amazing creation called the church. Okay, what were those four things? The death of Jesus, his resurrection, the prayer of the church, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. All four of these came together on that day at Pentecost, and the church was birthed. And the church being born, being birthed, brought such a transformation in the world. It turned so many things upside down. The world has never been the same since that time. Amen. The, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the, the face of our planet itself has been changed. So it is a huge event in history. Okay? The birth of the church is a huge event in history. Now what happened uh, on that day of Pentecost? We know Apostle Peter was so filled with the Holy Spirit that he rose up and spoke this, this bold sermon to the Jews. And at the end of it, he warns them to repent and turn away from the, an untoward generation. Acts chapter 2, verse 40 and 41. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. And then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them 3,000 souls. With one sermon, 3,000 hearts were pricked, it says. Their consciences were pricked and their hearts were transformed and they were added into the church. And then, you know, when 3,000 people suddenly come together and all of their hearts are burning and they're filled with passion, what do you do with 3,000? You know, we're figuring out what to do with 300, right? So I, can, I just thought the magnitude of the problems that the apostles had on their hands when 3,000 are flocking to them to say, what do we do next? And the, Peter and the, and the apostles probably had no clue. They're like, we really don't know what to do next, but let's do what we know. And they did what they knew, which was devoting themselves to four things. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The early church devoted themselves to four things. Okay, Acts 2, 42. Today's memory verse, everyone can say after me. And they continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Okay, those of you who are in the discipleship, I know you already know this verse. Okay, this is revision time. They devoted themselves to four things. And the church in this month, we are going to be looking at 
each of these four things. And last week we talked, and we're going, we're going the, other, the other way, okay? We're going from the, from the end to the top. Uh, last week we looked at prayer. This week we're going to focus on one thing called the breaking of bread. And what the disciples focused on led to them continuing to grow, okay? So they devoted themselves to just four things and they kept it simple. The apostles did not give them a 10-page rule book that this is what you do and this is how, what you wear and this is what you're going to behave. They said four things. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer. So these four things were meant to be a devotion of the early church. And they are meant to be a devotion of the church today as well. We are called to be devoted to prayer, devoted to fellowship, devoted to the teaching of the apostles and devoted to breaking bread. Amen? And, and what happens to the church? Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles because the church devoted themselves to certain things. Signs and wonders began happening in their midst. And all those who believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. The wealth of what they had just found was so, so surpassed anything that these 3,000 ever knew. That they felt all of their possessions meant so little. It faded in comparison to the glory they were experiencing as a church. And it made them just give up, you know, everything they owned. They said, this means nothing compared to what we have just experienced. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. 3,000 people to minister to was a huge task but they gathered in the temple and then the apostles the leaders would visit from house to house and what would they do they would teach them they would pray with them they would fellowship with them and they would break bread in every house so there must have been something really powerful about this this thing they did called breaking bread because it was something the church was devoted to it was very central to what the early church did. And praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. And they kept increasing. They kept multiplying. They kept influencing. And the, and the word of God calls them those who turned the world upside down. Or as we should say, the right side up. Yeah? They transformed the world of their time. And uh, so they were. So this is our key focus this month: that they were continually devoting themselves to these four things. Now, where did the breaking of bread start? We know uh, that it started with the Last Supper, when Jesus was partaking of a meal with his disciples. And to give a background of that meal, it was the Jewish Passover, right? What do we know about the Jewish Passover? Israel was a nation in captivity to the king of Egypt for for 400 years, when God decides that the time has come, they need to be delivered to fulfill his promise to them, God sends a deliverer called Moses. Moses goes into the king of Egypt's you know, presence and says, let my people go. The God of Israel is asking you to let all his slaves go. And the king of Pharaoh is like, who are you? 
and who is your god i have nothing to do with you i'm not impressed by you or your god i am not going to let these people go god gives him 10 chances nine chances to humble down and to acknowledge that he was god and to obey his voice but the word of god says that pharaoh hardened his heart and would not listen to the voice of god so the last plague it is called there were 10 plagues that came upon israel on the kingdom of egypt and the last one was the death of the firstborn god had to hit pharaoh where it hurt him the most and god puts his hand and lays them on the firstborn of everyone in egypt including the king the royalty the rich men the poor men the servants and even the animals the firstborn of everyone in egypt would die on a night appointed by the lord but god had a way to deliver or to keep the people of israel safe in the middle of this plague right so what what do we know that was he gives them an ordinance okay so this is what the lord asks them to do in exodus chapter 12 and the lord spoke to moses and aaron in the land of egypt saying this month shall be to you the beginning of months this it shall be the first month of the year to you speak ye unto all the congregation of israel saying in the 10th day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers a lamb for a house so god says this month is going to be your new year is going to be your january okay so which is why the jews have a different calendar to us because they go by this they go by remembering the day that they were rescued from the hand of pharaoh and so he says this will be the first month for you in the 10th day of the month you will take a lamb and you will keep him in your house till the 14th day so every house had to have a lamb if your house was too small to finish a whole lamb two houses could share a lamb two or more depending on how many you have in your house if the household is too little for the lamb let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the souls okay every man according to his eating okay so some of us like like mutton you have to consider an extra portion yeah shall make your count for the first for the lamb your lamb shall be without blemish a male of the first year you shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats and you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel will kill it in the evening so four days this lamb was actually kept at home and they would they were actually they would actually get connected to the lamb even a baby lamb it would be one year old and it would be spot it had to be spotless it had to be without any blemish no deformity no spot and after the on the 14th day evening all of israel together would kill this lamb and how did they eat it so after they kill the lamb like we know the blood of the lamb would be taken and would be smeared on the doorpost and on the sides of the of the of the door of the house and god said when the angel of death passes over egypt he will see the blood of the lamb and he will pass over you in another place god says i will pass over you so that the angel of death will not come near you but if a house is presumptuous presumptuous enough to say i don't believe this then even if you are of israel you will die the only thing that will keep you alive on this night 
when the angel of death is going to kill every firstborn, it's going to identify the firstborn child of every home and destroy it. The only thing that can keep you guys alive is if you keep the blood of the lamb on your homes. And this was the redemptive plan that God had for Israel when he was delivering them out of Egypt. And then he, and how were they supposed to eat it? They would kill the lamb and they would roast the lamb whole. They were not even, they were not supposed to break even a bone of the lamb, signifying Christ Jesus who would be the real Passover lamb that would be killed 2,000 years or years after that, not 2,000 years. And it says not one of his bones were broken. When they, try, when they were going to break his legs, they said he's already dead. And the lamb, the sacrificial lamb, they could not break its bone. They would have to roast it, not even boil it. or They would have to roast it in fire whole. They had to eat it in a hurry. They had to eat it with their dressed up, with their shoes on, with their staff in their hands. They had to eat it quickly, remembering the speed with which the king of Egypt threw them out of Egypt and said, get out of my kingdom. He literally drove them out. He said, I don't want these slaves in here because because of them, my firstborn has died. So be, remembering the haste with which you got out, every year you eat it in a hurry. You eat it quickly. They were supposed to eat it with bread that was made without leaven. Bread, if you know, our breads are soft because we add yeast into them, right? The leaven makes it rise, makes it soft and fluffy. The bakers know. Bread without leaven is hard. It's difficult to eat. But God said, leaven symbolized sin in the, in the word of God. And in, in the book of Corinthians, Paul tells us, cleanse yourself from all leaven of, of hypocrisy and iniquity and celebrate the Passover with unleavened bread. No yeast. And they were supposed to clean up their houses from every sign of leaven, even a, even a bit of leaven found in their house, the word says that they were to be thrown out of Israel. It was, that, it was that important to clean it up and symbolizing the sinless lamb of God and the sinless nature of the Passover lamb. So they would eat bread without leaven and God would see the blood over the doors and would pass over them. And then God said every year, every year on this day, I want you to remember. You know how good we all are at forgetting, yeah? You, a couple of years, somebody does something good to us, you know, we're grateful. A, a, a while later, a couple of months, a couple of years, we forget. You know, we're really grateful at that time, but all of us forget. So God, knowing that our brains are of, you know, limited capacity to remember the great deliverance with which he set us free, said every year on this day, remember. Don't forget, don't forget. Don't forget. Now, one thing was a remembrance of what he had done. But another thing was it was a dress rehearsal every year that another lamb is coming. And he is going to set you free from another king who is far worse than the Pharaoh. You know, there are only two kingdoms on the earth. There's a kingdom of light and there's a kingdom of darkness. And every one of us choose which kingdom we want to belong to. It is not really about liking Jesus or believing in Jesus or, you know, going to heaven. It's not really what the whole gospel message is about. The gospel message is we were slaves under a wicked king. Satan is a, Satan is a terrible king. He's a terrible ruler. He has only one agenda, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. If you are in his kingdom, his only agenda with your life is to destroy you. And God is a deliverer. God is one who sets free. 
So we were once in his kingdom as his slaves. But God said, I will make a way to redeem you and to ransom you from that kingdom. And I will give you an opportunity to be free of that king and to come into freedom. Amen. He's a good God. So every time they ate the Passover, they were remembering that another lamb would come. The Messiah is going to come. And he is good. They didn't understand all that the Messiah would do, but they believed that he will come and deliver them. And every year their dress rehearsal was that the Passover lamb will come and be sacrificed and we will be set free from the kingdom of darkness. Amen. So Jesus being born into a Jewish household celebrated the Passover every year. So he had about 33 and 33 Passovers, right? So he's lived through that many. But he knew that he was, every time he, he did the Passover, he knew that he was that lamb. And he knew it was his blood that's going to that's gonna set mankind free. So for the last Passover that Jesus was going to be with his disciples, his, the word says, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He says, I have been waiting for this Passover. I've done other Passovers, but this one I've been waiting for because I know this is the last one that is going to go before the Lamb of God, the true Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world is going to be slaughtered and killed for the redemption of mankind. He was excited about this Passover, unlike other Passovers, because he knew that this is going to be, this is the fulfillment of every Passover we have been observing all of these years. This is it. This is the moment. This is what all of Israel has been waiting for. So I've eagerly desired to eat this with you, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. That day, Jesus knew that the Passover lamb, the blemishless, spotless lamb, whose blood had to be shed for forgiveness of sins, would be killed and his blood would mean that all mankind has a way of freedom. Amen. Are you happy that the Passover lamb was killed? So Jesus was, he, he knows he's going to suffer. He knows he's going to go through the cross, but he is also excited. He's like, I have eagerly waited. He's like, I've waited to do this because in everything that we are doing, I know that I am going to be fulfilling that this day. And it is no longer going to be just, and just a ceremony. It is going to become a reality. Amen? And Luke 22, verse 19 and 20, Jesus institutes what we call the ordinance of communion. So, you know, the, the original Jewish uh, communion is called a seder meal, S-E-D-E-R. Seder means order. They have a, a specific order in which they do. It's like a whole ceremony. It is celebrated. They celebrate it as families. And the head of the home will be leading the ceremony. They have what you call seder plates with different pockets, you know, like our plates where we, that we eat uh, meals in. Uh, and each pocket had to have a, a particular thing. They also had four cups of wine. And at different stages of the ceremony, they would drink of each cup of the wine. Okay, so that was like, and in between, they would have a whole meal. Okay, apart from the, 
the, the bitter herbs and the, uh, you know, they had, uh, they had horseradish, you know, that's really bitter to remind, remind them of the pain and the suffering that they went through in Egypt. And then they would keep the, uh, a bone, a shank bone of a, of, a, of a lamb. So they had different stuff that they would do. And in between the, the ceremonies, when they eat their whole meal, okay, they move all of this, they eat the meal and then they bring all these things back. And then they finish the end of the ceremony, which is why it says, after the meal, Jesus reclined. And this was the, the end of the ceremony where the head of the table would actually take the unleavened bread, break it and give it to everyone around the table. And then they would drink of the third cup, which was called the cup of blessing. So he was actually just going in line with the Jewish custom of that day. But at this point, Jesus stops and says, this one thing that I'm doing, I want you to keep doing in remembrance of me. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. And when he gave the bread, if you notice, it says he gave thanks. He knows that this means his body getting broken. He didn't do it crying. He didn't do it whining. He didn't do it complaining. He says he gave thanks. And he takes the bread and he breaks it, knowing that it is symbolizing his own body, which is going to be broken in a few hours from now. What is communion really and what does it signify? You know, if we understand the power of communion, the power that is released by God when we break bread in faith and we appropriate everything that this communion meal actually means, I believe our lives will experience breakthrough. Amen? There is far more. If the church devoted themselves to this and they saw blessing and increase and fruitfulness, there must be power in this. If it was the last thing that Jesus would tell them, keep doing this as often as you can in remembrance of me, it had to be important. Amen. It is not meant to be just a, a little part of the ceremony or a little part of the church service that we just want to get over with. It was meant to be something really important if you access it and appropriate it by faith. So what is communion? The number one thing that the communion is, is that it is a remembrance. Jesus did not want us to forget his sacrifice. Amen? Like I said, we're all really good at forgetting. And if you're saved 20, 30 years, you forget the joy of your salvation. And communion is meant to remind you every time you take it, that you were once a sinner and you needed the blood and the body of Jesus to be saved. Every time you take communion, you are meant to remember and to never, never take it presumptuously. Ah, uh, you know, I'm a part of the body. I'm cool. You know, and just, but, but every single time that you approach the body and the blood, you do it with remembrance of what he's done. Amen? That is, that is why he instituted it, so that we would never forget the price of the cross. And if along your journey, you've lost the, the wonder of the cross, you've lost the wonder of what Jesus has done. So if we lose the wonder of the cross every time when we partake of the bread, we must come back to it. Amen? We must come back to the wonder of the broken body. So what is the communion? It is a remembrance. When we partake of the broken bread, what are we remembering? So as we take bread 
and we break it. And after this, after the sermon, we're going to actually get into a time of communion. And we want to walk through these things and we want to do it as, as meaningfully as we can. Okay? So as you listen, just, just prepare yourselves to partake of communion in, in, a, in and I believe, in a, in a powerful way. Amen? So it is when we break the bread or when we partake of broken bread, what are we remembering? We are remembering with gratitude, like Jesus gave thanks. With gratitude, we are remembering the body that was broken for us and the penalty taken by God himself for us to receive life. I was a slave. I was bound. But he broke his body so that I could be set free. Amen? So when I partake of that piece of bread, I must go back into knowing that there was no way I could set myself free if he had not broken his body for me. So it is with gratitude that we remember the body broken. We remember that we can receive healing that his stripes purchased for us. Isaiah 53, if we can just look at Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is a, a messianic prophecy that was given to the prophet Isaiah. And he saw in his spirit the cross and the crucifixion. And he, he couldn't understand what it meant and what it was all about. But he said, surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. So he could see one bearing the sins of everyone. Bearing the sick, the word griefs is actually the, in, in Hebrew is the word sickness. He, our sicknesses, he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. And we looked at him. He saw those looking at him were thinking, oh, he's smitten by God. He's punished by God. Forgetting that it was their sin that was on him. They didn't realize that it was, it was their transgression. It was their iniquity that he was carrying. And they thought he's there because of his own sin. And the, the next verse, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging and by his stripes, we are healed. I believe every part of Jesus' body that was ripped, that he allowed to be ripped. Okay? It says, this is my body given for you. It's not being taken for you. I am giving it for you. Amen. He willingly gave it for us because he knew that was the only body that could set us free. And if he allowed his body to be ripped for my healing, then I must appropriate it. Amen. Provision has been made in his stripes for healing. Yes. Amen. If he would take that for me, then I must partake of it. Amen. So when we partake of the broken bread, we remember, okay, Lord, Lord, I was, I was a slave, your body broken. And as I partake, I'm, I'm just giving you thanks. I'm remembering the life that you gave. I'm remembering that your stripes that, that went through your lungs and went through your heart and that went through your legs, every stripe, every part of your flesh that was torn was a healing for me. By his stripes, by his wounds, we are healed. Amen. And it is a part of, of reaching out in faith, opening up our faith to receive it. I know some may feel that, okay, it was, it was there in those days and it is not there for us today. I think whatever you, are, you can believe, believe. 
You know, the door has been opened. How far you want to go is your choice. You know, I, I choose to believe that healing and wholeness was purchased. If the Son of God's body was ripped, it must be a great price. It must be a great wealth that is released. Yeah, it cannot be for just an ordinary mediocre life. Amen. So if we remember the healing that His stripes has purchased for us, we are remembering that we are partaking of His life and through Him that we have eternal life. In the book of John, chapter 6, Jesus preaches a very controversial message. Maybe we can look at that. John chapter 6. He says, I am the bread of life. Or, or I think that's fine. Uh, let me just run through it. We know the scriptures where Jesus calls himself the bread of life. Yeah? And he tells the disciples that if you don't eat my bread, my flesh, and drink my blood, you have no part with me. For anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood will have eternal life. Now, if you were to hear a preacher say that, what would you think? Eat my flesh and drink my blood to have life. That those who heard him thought he was deceived and he's crazy and his teaching is going over the head. And it says many of his disciples deserted Jesus after that teaching. They said, this is too much what he's, you know, till now was okay. You know, the healings were great. Whatever he said was great. But this is going overboard. He's pushing it. You know, eat my flesh, drink my blood. How are we, are we cannibals that we should go and eat his flesh and drink his blood? And, and when they got offended, Jesus was not troubled. Okay, many of the disciples left. When we see many leaving, we get, you know, oh, they're all going away. Jesus was cool. He said, you're upset with this? And he actually asked them, what if you saw me back to where I was in heaven? See, if he was sitting on his throne and he said that, no one would be offended. Because he would be king, he can say anything and get away with it. He said, oh, you're offended because I said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And then he tells the disciples, the words I speak to you, they are spirit and they're life. You need to catch them in the spirit. Don't take them literally. The words that I'm saying are not meant to get into your head. They're meant to get deeper. They're meant to get into your spirit. If you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, if you partake of my life, which is available for you, if you eat of it, you partake of it, you share with my life, you will have eternal life. But if anyone is not partaking of my life, of the power of the Holy Spirit, by abiding in Jesus, by walking with Him, loving Him, living with Him, you have no life in you. So this is what Jesus meant. He, he talked about, he was speaking a spirit dimension. But their minds were blocked. And they couldn't receive it. And so many of them deserted Jesus. They walked away. Amen. We need to catch the words of God, the things of God in our spirit. Amen. Not with our head. The, the, the parables, the, the, most of the people never understood what he was talking about. Do you know he was actually not a great preacher? Because the, the, the disciples would come back and say, Lord, you sat for two hours saying a lot of things. Do you know nobody understood? And Jesus said, they're not meant to understand. Can you imagine? So you think he was, you, we think he was a good preacher, but actually a lot of things he said would just go over their heads. They would, they would enjoy the miracles. They would enjoy the bread. But very, very few would catch it. Would catch what he was saying. The things of the Spirit. He said, the, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven are meant for disciples. 
If you are a disciple, you get to open up your spirit and partake the mystery. So those that were not walking as disciples, they deserted him because it didn't, it didn't fit their logic. It didn't fit their theology. You can't eat flesh and drink blood. It's not allowed in Judaism. We don't do that kind of thing. It's paganism. It's cannibalism. And they walked away. He said, oh, you missed it. I, I spoke in the spirit. Amen. So, when, so when, we, when we eat the bread, we tell ourselves, I am partaking his body. And his life is coming into me. And his power is coming into me. And his freedom is coming into me. And his, his joy and everything that the life of Jesus is, is getting into me. I'm partaking of his body and his blood. Amen. We remember that he was crushed for our iniquities and sin has no more power over us. Amen. I find it such a, such a reason to celebrate every time I think that sin does not have dominion over me. Amen. Even if God never did another thing for, for us in the days ahead, just the cross that gives me freedom, but I can, the very sins that controlled me and bound me, today I, they're under my feet, itself is a reason to, for me to celebrate every single time. The things I never thought I could get out of, today are under my feet and I can, I know it is because of what he did for me. Amen. So we remember that he was crushed for my sin. So I partake of the bread and I say, sin has no power. No power. You know, I, I know some of us do it the other way around where if we're walking in sin, we, we let the elements pass by. We say, oh, I don't deserve to partake of the bread and the wine. But it should be the other way around. Partaking of the bread and the wine when we repent of our sin and we, and we ask the Lord for forgiveness and for grace to overcome. When we partake in faith, we say, I have power over my sin. I have, because he was crushed for my iniquity. I shouldn't let that go in vain, in vain. Amen? His crushing must not go waste in my life. His stripes must not go waste in my life. So I cannot, you know, I cannot tolerate sin, but he was crushed for it. Amen? Amen. Sin cannot have place in my life when he was wounded for my transgression. Amen? So we remember that he was crushed for our iniquities. When we partake of the cup, we remember that we needed a sacrifice for sins. The only way that sin could be atoned for in God's word was by the shedding of blood. Every one of our sins, there is only one way. Your sins need to be wiped out. Blood has to be shed. There has to be justice for every violation of the law. God cannot simply write off sin. Because then he would be an unjust God. He has to shed blood for any violation of the law. And there is not one here that has not violated the, trans the commandments of the Lord. So for every one of us, blood needed to be shed. And we remember that we could not shed our own blood. It would not even suffice if you squeezed out every drop of our blood for the mountain of sins that stand against us, there was only one sacrifice. Amen. The blood of Jesus. The only blemishless, spotless blood that was worthy to be sacrificed for sin. And he was willing. See, we got to get this, that he didn't have to. He chose to. He was willing to allow his blood to be shed. So when we partake of the cup, and the cup is going to go around in a bit, when you hold it in your hands, you remember... Lord, my sins had no other way but your blood. And as I drink of the cup, I thank you. I remember that my, my sins needed this eternal sacrifice. 
We remember that his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. We also remember that God has made a new covenant with us. Jesus, when he gave them the cup, said, Drink, this is the blood of the new covenant which I'm making with you. When he, when he shed his blood, see, when covenants were made in scripture, we know they were ratified with shedding of blood. Every covenant would have some form of bloodshed to seal the promise between the two people. The shedding of blood meant that this is, we're sealing it. I'm going to do. And it also meant that if either one would not keep their part of the covenant, the blood, they, they would, their lives will be required of them. It was that strong. The covenant would be that strong. That if I don't keep my part of the covenant, you can shed my blood. You can kill me. I am binding myself to this covenant with you. So when he gave them the cup, he said, drink. This is the cup of the new covenant, the blood of the new covenant, which I'm going to make with you. Today, every one of us in Christ Jesus, we are in a new covenant with him. And when we drink the wine, we are remembering the covenant. We're thinking, Lord, I thank you. I am not just an ordinary person. I am one that stands in a covenant with God Almighty. That's huge. You man, you, you, know, you stand and it's like you go to shake hands with some big people. Oh, I shook hands with them. You know, I, I got a picture with them. Here you are entering into a covenant, into an eternal promise with God Almighty. And it's not, it's not just, you know, as a family or a congregation. It's individually, every single one of us that believes in Christ Jesus, we enter into a new covenant with him. And the blood signifies that the covenant is sealed. The enemy can say nothing to, to break that covenant. Every time he tries, the blood speaks. It says, no, they're in covenant. They're in covenant. They're inside the covenant. They're inside the covenant of blessing. So when we partake of the wine, we renew covenant. And we say, Lord, I thank you that I am in a covenant with you. Which means I got to shape up if I have to walk in covenant with God Almighty. That's not a small thing. Amen. You know, if I have to walk hand in hand with him, I have to become like him. I've got to let go of some stuff. I've got to change some stuff. But I want to stay in covenant with him. Amen. I want to walk with him. And Lord, I thank you for the blood that ratifies the covenant that I have with you. So we are now in a new covenant relationship with God through Jesus. Just as we are forgiven by God, it is also a time for us to forgive anyone that has offended us. As you drink the cup, this is a time to remember that if God has forgiven me, then I must let go of offense to anyone. Okay, so we don't partake communion with bitterness or offense in our hearts. It must be a time to forgive anyone as he has forgiven us. Amen. We cannot say, oh Lord Jesus, thank you for forgiving my sin. You know, but I'm not going to forgive that guy. Okay, so I think we, we, we talk about that a lot. So as you partake of the covenant today, of the communion today, remember, ask the Lord, Lord, is there anyone in my life I need to let go? Family, relatives, you know. Parents, children, I don't know, whatever, whoever, we have to let go. As he has forgiven me, I have to forgive. What else is the communion? The communion is a proclamation in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. It says, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As we're going to partake together, what we're doing is we are going to be preaching out something. We're shouting out something. We are proclaiming something. Amen? We're not just everyone having a bit of cup and wine. We are actually telling 
the heavens, the angels, the demons. We are proclaiming the Lord's death over and over again. Every time we partake, Jesus died for my sins. Jesus rose again. So it is a proclamation. Every time you partake, you are proclaiming something. Okay? The heavens hear it. You hear it. You know, we, we need to get, keep getting back to the cross all through our Christian life. We know if, if the cross fades in its wonder, sin will be very you know, lucrative for us. It will pull us away. Stay away from sin by keeping your wonder for the cross. Communion is an anticipation of His coming. The same verse says, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Which means when I'm eating the bread and the wine, I'm saying, Jesus died for me, but He is coming back. Until He comes back, I will remember His death. I will not forget. And I know He's coming back. So it is an anticipation. It is an expectation that Jesus is going to come back. This time, not as the Lamb, but as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Communion is participation in His body. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break participation in the body of Christ? So like I said in John 6, Eat my flesh, drink my blood. I am partaking of His life when I partake communion. Amen? Which means His life is going into me. I am eating of his body and I'm drinking of his blood and I'm receiving the life of Jesus into me. It is also a sharing of unity with the body of Christ. When we eat, it says, 1 Corinthians 10, 17, there is one loaf and we who are many are one body. For we all share that one loaf. We all share the same body. We're all eating of the same body, which means we are all one. Not just us in this room, but the body, the universal body of Christ, of disciples that love Jesus and partake of Him. We are all one. So when I'm eating the bread, I realize I'm just a small part of this body. I am a small, insignificant part, but I am a part. I am not my own. I'm not a little finger hanging around somewhere that is decomposing into the dust. I am a part of a living body. And I have a contribution to give into this body. And I cannot do the Christian life on my own. A finger which is isolated will, have, will go into gangrene and will be cut off. It must stay connected to the body. So when I partake the bread, I remind myself, I am I'm a part of a bigger body. And I have, a, I have something to give the body and I have something to receive from the body. I cannot live on my own. I need to continue to remain in the body. So it is, an under, it is a remembrance of my place in the body. Amen? In, even in the universal body. We cannot stay bitter with a brother or a sister when we partake communion. It's like your hand hating your leg. That does not, that does not work, right? Every part of the body takes care of itself. There, is, there are diseases called autoimmune diseases where the immune system fights the body. And I think in the church, often that's what happens. But the body that is, the, the immunity which is meant to fight the, the bacteria and the germs and the viruses gets, gets somehow programmed to identify, you know, proteins in the body as foreign and begins to attack it and destroys the body. The body is not able to function. Jesus, some parts of Jesus' body have some autoimmune diseases 
You need to pray against that. Yeah? So the, the, the treatment is suppress immunity, which means the body is susceptible now to all kinds of diseases. We want to be a whole body. Amen. But every single one of us has a role and a part to play in the body. So when we partake, we're also saying, no, Lord, I am I'm giving myself into your body, not just in this church, wherever the Lord has for you to partake. We must be connected and be a part of the body. How must we partake? This is the only place where Paul says, if you don't do this right, sickness will get into you and even death. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord, this is 1 Corinthians 11, in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. So if you don't partake with understanding of what it is that you are partaking of, you can actually be sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep or have died. Paul attributes the death and the sickness of many in the church to the unworthy manner with which they were partaking of communion. He has says this about nothing, no, nothing else in, in the letters. So the, the power of communion and partaking it in the right way, what is it to discern? It means when I'm holding the elements, I don't hold it in a casual manner and say, okay, Pastor Jijo, you know, they pass the bread around. I shouldn't let it go. I'm feeling a little hungry. So that little, that, that piece is not going to fill your hunger anyway. Uh, but you take it as the body and the blood. And by faith, you appropriate everything that Jesus wants us to receive through this without sinning against the body and the blood. So it says, if you don't discern, you're actually bringing judgment upon yourselves. So how do we partake? We examine ourselves before eating, right? as we get into communion. We, we search our hearts, we test ourselves, we examine our lives, we see, is there sin? Am I walking in the life of Jesus? Am I walking in His ways? Am I walking in fellowship with Him? And we partake in a worthy manner, discerning that we're sharing in the body and the blood. And I identify, okay, this is not, this is not just a piece of bread and a cup of grape juice. I am partaking of this, uh, releasing my faith that this is His body and His blood and it is symbolic of of His life in me. Amen. And as I partake, I partake with reverence and with the fear of the Lord and with joy and with thanksgiving. And you also partake knowing that you are a part of this body and not your own. As I partake, I realize that I'm, I'm a small part of a huge body. And I have a role and I can't stay away. And I want to partake and I want to become one with this body. As we get into this time, I know we've overshot a little, but I believe uh, God wants to do something. Amen? And we're going to partake of communion. We can rise up to our feet. Uh, Pastor Jijo will come and lead us into a time of communion. But as you partake, we're going to remember these things. We're going to remember His death. We're going to remember His broken body. And we're going to remember His shed blood. And as we remember, we're going to know that there was no other way for us to be saved, for us to be rescued, but that the Son of God would give Himself. And every time that we partake of communion, we are remembering. Every time we partake, we are proclaiming His death till He comes back. 
every time we party we are anticipating we are saying i am excited you know uh, there is a saying by a man of god that says no past but the cross no future but is coming and i found that amazing i have no past but the cross if anything else in your past sticks out bigger than the cross you got to fix it the greatest thing in your history must be the cross and the greatest thing to look forward to is not retirement or having the big house or settling down or getting a you know the greatest thing and i look ahead must be his coming amen that if if anything else overshadows the joy of when i think about his coming i got to fix it because you know retirement or you know had doing those things in your bucket list that you really wanted to do if that is bringing you more joy than the thought of his coming then then we have to we have to change some stuff because there is no greater joy on the earth to live for than his coming no past but the cross no future but his coming if there's one thing we want to look forward to every single day it is that jesus is coming back Jesus is coming back and I want to be ready when the trumpet sounds it can sound any time any moment but every day I want to live preparing myself for that moment when I see him face to face and communion then there will be a celebration yeah so we are anticipating his coming we are real we are partaking of his body and his blood the life of Christ coming into me and I am identifying with the universal body of Christ. I'm thanking God. Lord, thank you. I'm not a finger or a toe that is thrown away somewhere, but I am a part of a living, dynamic, powerful body which is the body of Christ. Amen. That is the greatest joy and the greatest honor. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons, please do visit us at wicc.in.